looking at the fruit of the Spirit tonight. Galatians chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, verse, uh, six, let's start verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Now let me just pause there a little bit. Now we would say we've never done any of those. What is idolatry? It's anything you put between you and between you and God. Could be a job. Could be a child. Could be a spouse. Could be money. You know, it's anything. Hatred. Do you ever hate your brother without a cause? Yeah. Um, if we really examine these things, we'd probably say, you know what? There's none of us that haven't guilty of some of these. Anyway, let's move on. Of the which like, like I said, there are portions of the past of scripture I don't like either. Uh, <laughs> no. As I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's talking about a lifestyle, uh, not just somebody that, that committed a sin once, you know, and then repented of it. But verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, <clears throat> I want to draw your attention to verse uh, 16 and 17 again. Just make a few comments here. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. So you cannot do the things which you that you would, but if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. You know the law. If you are led of the spirit, you don't need the law, because the spirit leads us to do better than what the law requires. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, except your righteousness so exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You shall no way inherit. And then he went on to say, it was said in old time, thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, he that is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. It was said in old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look on a woman the lust out there, you have to commit adultery with her in her heart. And he went through the whole list of, of the law, talking about, this is what the law said, but I say unto you, so this is a letter of the law that was said in old time, here's the spirit of the law. So if you read the letter of the spirit, you'll live in keeping or in above the law. This is the idea. This, this is what it's saying here. If you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the law no longer is our measuring rod, so to speak. The Spirit of God is what pleases Him. Now, the law is a standard. It's God's standard. 
And, and so, it's, of course, it's by the laws and knowledge of sin. So we do need the law to give us an understanding of what the Spirit of God desires of us and what pleases the Lord. But, but that's not, we don't just live so, as close to the law or the edge as we possibly can. No, we're led of the Spirit. We try to stay away from the edge or stay away from committing or transgressing the law. So, so therefore, to, and that's why it says again in verse 23, it, it ends this with against such there is no law. There is no law going to condemn you for having love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. No law will condemn you. Now, man may make up things, but there's no moral law of God that's going to condemn you for keeping or practicing these fruits. This fruit, as it says, fruit, these are all, this is the fruit of the Spirit. And so, it's really to be living above the law. And again, this is a fruit that is produced by the Spirit of God. It's not natural of us to be loving. That little grandson that was just born, if he's left to himself, would be a monster. I think his parents are going to uh, chasten that out of him. But, but, you know, if man left to himself, will bring his mother to shame. No, this is the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and it's something that God works in our lives to bring it back. So I want to look at some of these tonight. First of all, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Um, you know, we, we use the word love in many different ways in our English language. You know, I might say, I love fish. Now, what do I mean by I love fish? Well, I love to eat it. Um, I like to go to the lake or to the pond and take something, a, a bait, and deceive that fish into biting taking my bait and getting himself caught so I can kill him and eat him. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? But I love fish. What is that? That's selfish. That's selfish. See, a lot of people say when they use the word love, it's really about self. Self. That's not how the Bible uses the word love. The word love, or oftentimes the word used in place of is charity in our, in our King James Bible, and it has the idea of giving. Um, it's the idea of giving. It's not selfishness. Philippians 2, in verses 3 to 7, says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but loneliness of mind. Let esteem, each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, he didn't do that for himself. He did that for us. Now, when I go and deceive a fish, I'm doing it for myself, for something that I get. Now, love is really, the biblical definition of love is, is giving. Uh, you know, love doesn't say to to you know a parent. And love doesn't say to their child, 
if you do this, if, if, you, if you are a good girl, then I'll uh, buy you ice cream on the way home. That's bribery. Um, no, love is giving. It's sacrificial. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. You know, what children need, if parents love them, is correction. Correction. Uh, we, we, you know, love is giving to those that don't love in return. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. And verse 45. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, I'm sorry. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Here He's still going on with this. It's been said, and I say, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that they may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And so love is, you know, love is it's giving of oneself. It's not, it's not, Determined by what someone else does to you. But it's based on what's right. You know, one of the things you're going to see here as we go through the fruit of the Spirit is it's not a feeling. It's simply doing what's right. You know, people all say, well, I just feel led of the Spirit. Well, is it an obedience to the Word of God? If it's not an obedience to the Word of God, it's not being, you're not being led of the Spirit. It's like the fellow told me one time, well, I just felt a lot of the Spirit to stay home today on Sunday. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. And uh, I said, well, the Bible says not to forsake assembling ourselves together as man of some is. Oh, is that right? I said, yeah. I said, you may have been led of a, of a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. You know, um, it's not a feeling. It's obedience. So love, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The word joy means a cheerfulness or a calm delight. A cheerfulness or a calm delight. Uh, you know, happiness, somebody says happiness depends on happenings. But this joy is not dependent upon happenings. It's dependent upon, our, again, our walk with the Lord. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's described as a glorious and triumphant state or a state of mind. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's the fruit of fellowship uh, with the Lord. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.10, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In other words, the, the things that the burden of the churches and the hardships that he went through in life uh, sometimes caused him grief. You know, the things that were going on at Corinth that he had to address and write these letters to, to correct caused him grief and sorrow. But in the state of all that, yet he still has a state of he's rejoicing in that he is the Lord's. In 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glory in you. I am filled with comfort and am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. And so this joy, again, is not dependent upon our happenings. 
And it, but again, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Yes, of course, sin destroys our joy. In Psalm 51, verse 12, you know, David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Uh, when he had you know, sinned, he had lost the joy. Sin will rob you of your, your, your joy with God. In 1 John 3, verses 3 and 4, or, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 3 and 4, uh, these things write we unto you that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Full. And so, this joy, again, is the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a fruit of walking in fellowship with the Lord, in agreement with or in harmony with the Spirit of God. Peter wrote about try of your faith in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and having joy in the midst of those trials. Somebody has said if we are good Christians, it would take little to make us happy and much to make us unhappy because joy is confidence in the Lord. It's confidence in the Lord. Paul said, I have a glory in my infirmities. Uh, and so we need to have the joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The third thing we see here is peace. Now, in the Bible, the Bible speaks of two kinds of peace. Uh, there is the peace with God, and there's the peace of God. Now, peace with God has the idea of a relationship. When we get saved, God gives us peace with Him. In other words, we're, we're reconciled or made come into agreement with him. We're changed from an enemy to a friend. We've, we've gone from the family of the, the devil to the family of God. So, so we have peace with God. That comes through salvation. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Uh, and of course, that chapter tells us when we were enmity with God, Christ died for us. So, so he is... He, are, he is our peace. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. Paul there says that for now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to, to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So, so the wall between us and God, or the bridge, or, the, or the, 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 the chasm between us and God because of our sin and, 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 and uh, in, in an unsafe state, a lost condition, and our unrepentance, that has been, that has been uh, brought together, or that petition has been brought down that separates us from God, and now we are at one with him. Made peace with him. <coughs> Excuse me. Isaiah 53, 5 says, The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So through the blood of Christ, we can have peace with God. But we can also have the peace of God. Now the peace of God is our not doesn't talk about our position. In Christ, it talks about our state. Our state. Our state of mind, you might say. 
uh, and heart. And this, again, comes through obedience with the Lord. Obedience with the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. He says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So here's Paul's writing from a jail cell. He's in prison, and he said, If you, if you uh, are not care, don't be careful or anxious or worried. Ang- your, your anxiety will, dis- will, will rob you of your strength for the day, somebody said. But, but don't be anxious for anything. Commit everything to God and His keeping and into His hand. And he said, the peace of God. You know, when I was a, when I was a boy, I didn't worry about anything like, what am I going to eat for supper? I wonder what I'm going to wear tomorrow. I wonder if, uh, you know, next year if we'll have food. I don't worry about any of that stuff. I didn't even give it a thought. Because it was just always there. It wasn't my responsibility. Now, you know what? It's still not really my responsibility. It's my responsibility to obey God and earn a living. It's God's responsibility to provide all my needs. And so, Paul, see, Paul had so fully come to that realization that it was his heavenly father had promised to take care of him. Didn't mean he'd have a, a Hampton Inn to stay in, you know, every weekend in his travels. You know, sometimes it was jail cell. But that, that he would have the necessities of life provided for him. And if he lived, it was Christ. And if he died, he went to be with Christ. See, he had, he had learned to commit that care to God. And that's why he said, don't be anxious or careful. Be careful for nothing. In everything by prayer and supplication, that's an urgent request, make with thanksgiving, let your request be made, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so we need to have, we need to have confidence in it. We need to have the state of mind. We need to have the, again, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is if we're trusting or walking with the Lord, believing His promises, uh, keeping His commandments, and obeying His precepts, we can have assurance that the peace of God is ours. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed in thee, because he trusts in thee. And so, God wants us to have the peace. And this peace is not reactive to others or to other things. It's not offended 
by what others do. Psalm 119, verse 165 says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. If you are of assurance that what you're doing is right, what others do won't, won't really be, if they disagree with you, that really won't matter. If you can walk in confidence that what you are doing is right between you and God, what others do really doesn't, shouldn't bother us. Because our confidence is in the Lord. We have peace with God. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. <clears throat> 1 Samuel, 1, 1 Samuel 28, Saul, or Israel, had been invaded by the Philistines. In verse 3, it says, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him, and buried him in Ramah, even his own city. Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. That was one good thing he did. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched on Geboa. When Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart greatly trembled. Now why was he afraid? Well, verse 6 says, When Saul acquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not. Neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. There wasn't a prophet, there wasn't a man of God that would help Saul. So why was he afraid? Well, if you go back to chapter 15, this is when it all began. Chapter 15, in verse 11, verse 10 11 says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have made, set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, hath not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord, all night. Again, verse 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast, and here it is, thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. You see, Saul's fear came about. He had no peace with God, nor with the people of God, nor the men of God that could have helped him because he had rejected the word of the Lord. That's really synonymous with saying he had rejected the leading of the Spirit of God. And so therefore the Lord had departed from him. You see, what Saul should have done in chapter 15 was, okay, Samuel, I understand what you're saying. I'm to be no longer king. And what he should have said was, you choose another king, and I'll help prepare him. And when he's ready, I'll step aside and submit to that king. But no, God did choose another king. And what did he tried to do? He tried to kill him. Not only did he reject the word of the Lord in chapter 15, he continued to reject the word of the Lord. And therefore, now, God won't answer him. God won't help him because he did, want, did not want help. You see, 
the peace, he could have had the peace of God and the direction of God if he just simply obeyed the Lord. You know, Daniel, in the midst of a, uh, a circumstance, similar situation, you know, it was life or death, he had the peace of God. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 56, 3, What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Again, Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust thee in the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord Jehovah's everlasting strength. And so the fruit of the Spirit, again, if we're, if we're being led of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Peace. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Patient, long-suffering is defined as patient enduring of evil, of insult, or injury. It's a slowness of avenging enemies. Uh, Of course, the Bible tells us that God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, Romans 2.4 says, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? You know, God is long-suffering to us. He, he's, he's, he's enduring those who continue to reject him. And it gives an example here in, uh, in, in chapter 9 of, of Romans about those who, who rejected him in chapter 9. In uh, verse 22, says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? Of course, in the context here, he's talking about Pharaoh. And remember what Pharaoh said to Moses? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? God didn't tell me what to do. I'm Pharaoh. Who is the Lord? And yet, God in his mercy endured, it says, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. He gave, he gave Pharaoh time to repent. Time to repent. Go to chapter 12, Romans 12, verse 17. <clears throat> long-suffering. We think about, think, I often think about this verse when we're talking about long-suffering. Romans 12, 17 says, Recompense of no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we are to, you know, to be long-suffering. Somebody has said that as Christians, we ought to have a tough skin and a soft heart. We ought to be, we ought to, by the power of the Spirit of God, endure the insults, the injuries of the world, and not retaliate. That's not easy to do. I remember a missionary telling us one time that he was in the Czech Republic. And he, had, he was a Marine, former Marine. And 
Americans weren't liked in the Czech Republic, and he'd get on a, I don't know if it was a subway or a bus, and um, he handed this guy, I think he handed this guy a track. And he went over to sit down, and he went over to sit, and I think he sat down in the seat, and this guy came over and just cold cocked him. And he said, I wanted to clean his clock. But he said, I just shook his hand. And he said, then he sat down beside me and started reading the track. And he said, I wanted to clean his clock. You know, sometimes we, we are to endure, patiently endure the injuries of the world. That's what long-suffering is. Gentleness, gentleness, <coughs> excuse me, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Gentleness is a mind, a mild, I'm not mind, mild, kind, tender, not rough, harsh, uh, or severe, but peaceable. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul said, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You know, when you go to the doctor, you know, you've probably been to the doctor and you was, maybe you've been to a certain doctor and you would say after he left, well, he certainly doesn't have good bedside manners. What do you say? He's not gentle or she's not gentle. Now, often you think of a nurse as somebody that's gentle and caring. And that's what Paul says here. We were gentle among you as a nurse cherished us. Now, we, out of compassion for your souls, you know, we told you the truth with compassion. We were gentle and we were honest. You know, a good doctor or a good nurse will be gentle, but they're going to be truthful with you as well. And try to be understanding. Ephesians 4 says we're to speak the truth in love. You know, the nurse will come in and they'll say, now, we've got to give you a shot, but it won't hurt. Yeah. It just stings a little. And that's really all it does. You know, I have to think of all the times I give cows and calves shots, you know, and, and how they didn't want to stand still, and I understand why. But, uh, no, it just stings a little. So just relax. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Uh, and so we are to be gentle unto all men. The Second uh, Timothy 2.24, Servant Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach. So gentleness. Goodness. Goodness means kindliness or charitableness. Kind of reminds me of a story in the Old Testament of David and Mephibosheth. You know, Mephibosheth was uh, Jonathan's son who uh, when, when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan's death, his nurse took him up and fled with him and dropped him. And he must have been a little little infant or you know very young anyway he was he was crippled for life because of that and he was hidden then uh 
as David took the kingdom, and it was quite a few years until, until David actually became king over the United Kingdom. So he was hidden then for fear of his life. But Jonathan said, I want to do, David said, I want to do kindness to the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. Is there any yet alive? And they said, there's Mephibosheth. He's in Lodibar, house of no bread is what that means. David says, send for him. He tells Mephibosheth, you'll eat at my table the rest of your life. You'll put your feet under my table the rest of your life. See, kindness. Kindness. Joseph and his brothers. You meant it unto evil, but God meant it for good. He showed kindness. He said, I will cherish you and nourish you. Kindness. Of course, that's the way God is. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. God is good to all. Uh, Hebrews 13, 16 says, To do good and communicate, forget not. For such sacrifices God is well pleased. Galatians 6, 10 here says, As we have opportunity, therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We ought to be known as people of goodness, kindness. Willing to help. Those in need, and and to to endeavor to meet that need. I remember reading a story one time in a uh, paper about a, a young fellow that said when he was growing up on his, on the farm with his dad, that a neighbor it was an evil man. One day his neighbor called his dad and said, "Come get your pigs. They were in my cornfield," and said we went got the truck and went over to get the pigs. And he had gathered them all up and cut all the throats. Said, Dad, just loaded them on the truck, brought them home, and we butchered our pigs. He said it was a few years later that his pigs got in our corn. He said, we rounded them up. He said, I said to Dad, why don't we just kill them? He said, no, son. He said, we loaded them in our truck. We took them to our neighbor's. They drove into the neighbor's farm, and he said, told his dad, told his neighbor, we have your pigs, they were in our corn. And he looked in the truck, and his mouth dropped open. And he said, he never treated my dad evil again. You see, doing good and not evil, we're to be people of goodness. We don't return evil for evil. Then we should notice, of course, faith. Goodness, faith. Uh, faith, of course, is really it's to trust, to believe in. It's, it's to believe without seeing results beforehand. It's to be persuaded. Of course, it's taking God at his word. Uh, four times the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 uh, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38, all have that phrase, the just shall live by faith. Of course, Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Abraham is exalted as a man of faith. 
You know, but Abraham was, wasn't perfect. He, he doubted God at times, but yet he, he continued to trust and, and strive to believe in God. And faith really is to accept the truth of God's word even if I don't understand it. Even if I don't understand it. It's to obey it. You know, in Haggai chapter 1, and if you go to Matthew, it's Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, the children of Israel, of course, were in, it was a difficult time for them, stressful time for them. They're back in the land after the captivity. And, you know, they have endeavored to build the temple, but they've been hindered or they've allowed the people of the land to hinder them. And in verse 3 it says, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but ye are not filled with drink. You clothe you, there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? Saith the Lord of hosts, Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Well, they had taken good care of their own houses. It wasn't that they didn't have the means to do it. It was a matter of preeminence. What was preeminent to these children of Israel at this time? What was preeminent is building their own houses and not building the house of God or assembling at the house of God. And he said, you know, you, if, you, if you build the house of God, if you glorify me, I will glorify you. Again, this is a matter of faith. And faith is demonstrated by our obedience. By our obedience. And so it's to trust even when we don't understand. We don't understand. You know, faith, Hebrews 11, the Bible says, Noah, being moved with fear, prepared an ark to saving of his house. He did it by faith. It says, by faith, he moved with fear. Now, the word fear means to reverence, or you defer to, or you give place to. Now, my dad instilled faith of him in me. Therefore, I feared him. You see, I had faith that if I disobeyed, there were consequences. Therefore, I feared him. Therefore, I obeyed him. Even if I didn't understand. And there were many things as a little boy I did not understand. Why this and why that? You know, why do we have to run all this shelled corn through this roller mill? Dad had a reason for it. It was a lot more work. It was more time. But after all, I had time. 
So he put me at it, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, but, but I had faith. See, Dad instilled in me faith in him that if I disobeyed him, there were consequences. So I moved with fear and rolled that corn. In other words, I obeyed him. You see, we, if we really have faith in God, we're going to defer to him. Even if I don't understand, and, and, we, and, and as we do defer to him, you, you know what we're going to come to the conclusion of? His way is better than mine anyway. He knows what tomorrow is or will be. I don't. And he knows the end from the beginning. And dad understood his reasoning was more milk and higher butterfat content from those cows, which meant a bigger milk check. Even if it meant a little more work for me, kept me out of trouble, you know. Um, No, faith, see, faith instills fear. Faith is obedience. Abraham went out not knowing whether he went. Why? Because he believed God. And so faith is to simply trust and obey God. You know, faith, if you, if you give reverence to your, to your, to your uh, uh, authorities or to God or our child to his dad, there's a promise that goes along with that, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Does God know what he's doing? Of course he does. And so we need to have faith to, and believe God whether we understand it or not. As I said this the other night, uh, I guess it was maybe, when was it, Thursday night? Last Thursday night. Anyway, somebody has said, quote, faith is to believe what we do not see. And the reward of faith is to see what we believe, unquote. And so when you have faith, faith in God. And I must stop. We'll pick up here next week. But this is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, these things don't come naturally. You and I's flesh is going to desire to do the opposite. Like you tell a you tell a child, natural thing is you tell a child or somebody to do something, what's the, what, do you, what do you want to do? You want to do the opposite. It's, that's human nature. You know, this is the fruit of the Spirit. And, uh, and we needed to, to yield to the Spirit of God and allow Him to bring this fruit uh, to fruition in our lives for our good and for His glory.